Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. I'm your host in Colorado Springs, Roland Smith. And here with me are my friends, humans extraordinaire from the great state of Texas, Mr. Terry Ishii. Hey. Hey. From the Eastern Time Zone in Knoxville, uh, Mr. Alan Bradford. Hey, how's it going? And let's just say East East this is Tennessee, so it's also the home of the Tennessee Titans who are still in the NFL playoffs. Just rubbing <laughs> that into my Texas friend. Wow. It is, yeah. That's so the three of us uh, the three of us have the fun of serving on the Forge American national team in some different capacities, but uh, now we get to intersect here, right? I'm excited about this. This is our first um, yeah, first episode of this podcast, and um, it's been in the planning and in the making and in different phases for uh, some time now, even before I joined Forge. Uh, but here we are defining 2020 with the launch of this podcast. So I'm really excited. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, man, I'm excited. So Terry and I have been dreaming about something like this for quite a while, just a way to kind of curate this discussion, this this conversation, and kind of get some great thoughts and great ideas out there. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny over the years, uh, just working with people around the country, um, I'm just surprised how many times I get asked, "Hey, what missional podcasts are you listening to? Who's who's like having this conversation?" And and I know there are a couple out there, but uh, there aren't many. Uh, and there aren't many that are really kind of going deep into the incarnation, the mobilization and all that. So, uh, yeah. So, Alan, we were just like, I guess we should start one. So, yeah. And and I and then I kind of entered the conversation um, late as part of the national team. And um, somehow we got to talking about it. And I, I started talking about how I'll get on iTunes and I start I search for names of authors and speakers and missional practitioners to see if there are guests on any other podcast, right? But there's not one place where you can kind of go and say, I want to have a conversation weekly or biweekly about missional uh, stuff. And so uh, Forge has been around for a while. Uh, we have a lot of people in our tribe with a lot of experience and uh, thoughts and stuff. And so we just thought, man, this is a great year to start this. And so let's give it a try. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And also, it's not just the Forge tribe, though, but I think it's also the the connections to the that we have in the Forge tribe, you know, right. so outside the Forge tribe, how this is really about a, a movement, right, sure. the movement of God and how he works, and how we are connecting to other movements. So I love how some of the even some of the ideas of the, the people that we're going to be interviewing and connecting with aren't necessarily Forge, right. but they definitely have right. the same heart, the same, the same goal, the same ideas. Um, and it's good to just kind of have a platform where we can share those. Yeah, and we're and we're in a time and a culture right now, church culture, where um, you know institution is is you know arguably having a little harder time, and so people are really leaning into how do we you know engage missionally, how do we engage our neighborhoods and our city and social justice issues and things like that, which is stuff the missional conversation has been talking about for a while. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, we have already uh, got some great guests uh, lined up. I mean, today we're going to drop in on a conversation um, that Alan, you and the crossings staff had uh, with Deb Hirsch. And then uh, we've got Ryan Hairston, coming up, who is the director of Forge, uh, Mark DeMoz from Mosaic Church in Little Rock, who's got uh, just a killer book at, out, uh, Thinking 
um, about church economics. Uh, Dan White Jr., Brian Sanders, who started uh, helped found Tampa Underground, uh, Sean Gladding, who's a friend. So we've already got some just great discussions uh, and guests coming up uh, for the weeks ahead. So, um, and I know we want to hit some current events and topics uh, to just kind of be aware of as missional practitioners, stuff that's going on in culture, the world around us. Maybe we'll do like some book reviews and uh, movie reviews and stuff like that and, and pretty much just have some fun, you know? Hey, since this is the first um, episode, first podcast um, of the season this year, um, I thought it'd be good for people maybe just to know a little bit about us since they're going to hear from us quite a bit. Uh, we may be kind of growing this host team a little bit all, as well, and w- uh, we'll get to know people as we add them. Um, but Alan, why don't you just kind of kick us off? Give us, give us a short brief of your context and kind of, kind of what you do. Yeah. So my name is Alan Bradford. I am a pastor here in Knoxville, Tennessee, part of a church called Crossings that meets downtown, uh, right here in downtown Knoxville. We got a couple of different sites and, uh, part of the Forge America team with these guys. And then I also help lead and give leadership to Forge Knoxville, which is a local expression of the Forge tribe. Yeah. Cool. Terry. Yeah. Um, uh, my name's Terry Ishi. I'm in Austin, Texas. I grew up in Houston. Uh, uh, so I'm a Texas kid uh, through and through. Uh, and so if you've ever met anyone from Texas, there's just an insane amount of pride that, that carries with that. It's so I have to always keep that in check. Don't talk about Texas too much. Yeah, it's um, or barbecue, which he doesn't want to talk about barbecue nonstop, but, uh, yeah. So I give leadership to the neighborhood church collective. It is a, uh, a network of missional expressions uh, in and around the Austin area and around the country. Uh, we are very much a decentralized uh, movement. And so grateful. I've been doing that for the last 11 years. Um, I work uh, with Forge Austin. Uh, we've been doing that for about seven years now. Uh, and I also serve with these guys on the national team, uh, kind of the director of development and partnerships. I think that's the last time I checked, that's the title that was thrown my way. So I don't yeah, know what any cool. of that means, but I know we're so we're big on, on my titles. Email, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're so big on titles and fortune, you know. Um, yeah, well, cool. And I love working with you guys. My name is Roland Smith. I'm in Colorado Springs now. I, I hail from the South originally. So once in a while, you'll hear a little bit of Southern twang in my voice. Um, but I, I have um, probably two or three contexts that I kind of walk in. Uh, one of them is that I, um, I've been in ministry, was in ministry for 28 years in institutional church settings like big churches, worship and teaching and executive pastor kind of stuff, and kind of left that for a time and started a missional uh, business model. So I own Third Space Coffee in Colorado Springs. It's not a Christian coffee shop, but we just try to curate a an intersection for culture and community. And it's been a great experiment, really hard. Um, I also have a part-time position at a church called Pulpit Rock Church, which is an awful name for a church, but it's named after a rock formation. It's not named because of rock music or 
the pulpit. You know, so there's actually a rock formation in Colorado that looks like a pulpit, and so they called it Pulpit Rock Church. Um, anyway, it's a great church that is a little bit larger that is has already been shifting missionally, and so we're uh, we are actually discipling people in Forge curriculum, and we're about to launch a hub out into the city to launch missional expressions, and so I get to help kind of curate that conversation. And then I'm also on the Forge national team, got the honor of being invited into that um, last year. And I'm, I guess I'm the newest member on the team, but, um, you know, growing up in my faith with voices like Mike Frost and Alan Hirsch and Briscoe and Hugh Halter and those guys, um, to be invited into that, uh, that team environment has been uh, just unbelievable. So. Before we get to the interview, let's, uh, um, let's just throw out throw out a couple of things one of the things i want to find out today terry is how your computer is doing are you on your computer right now or are you on your phone because your computer was making like crazy crazy noises yeah so i'm on the computer right now um it is a sweet sweet i don't even know how to pronounce the computer name that's how bad it is it's asus asus the, the asus <laughs> A-S-U-S, you take the U out, and that's basically how it works. Uh, It's rough. Uh, It just randomly makes loud clicking sounds. And which is funny, the first time it happened, I was like, oh, the fan in the computer must be like, there must be something stuck in it. And then there's no fan in this computer. It's just, it makes random phantom sounds. And so- So so you jumped out to, you, you reached out to the tribe, the Forge tribe, via Marco Polo, right? Which we use once in a while for for conversations. I wanted to get evidence that it was making that noise in case it blew up in my face. Then when I sue, I have some video (laughs) proof of why my face is so disfigured. Right. And so just throwing it out there. And then you uh, had to make a response. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I just thought was funny. I was actually just jumping on there trying to make a joke a stupid dad joke, right? Like, you know, just say something crazy like, well, it's, you know, it's the rubber band on the winder upper thingy. And you responded with, I did not know if you were being truthful or not. There was like a 50-50 chance that maybe there is a wind-up thing inside that I didn't know about, or maybe there is a rubber band that yeah, there's not, then, a lot of com- there's not a lot of computer education going on in Texas, I'm assuming. <laughs> so y'all well, everyone you- that's graduated with a computer science degree from the University of Texas at Austin <laughs> is now in like <laughs> several of those attend my my missional community, and it's well, like well, you know, I think at Forge we're we're already thinking that we're gonna we're gonna spot you some technology courses. Just on the side, just so you can kind of get up to speed a little bit, you know. So anyway, yeah, some some but, courses. We're not going to get you a new computer, just some courses. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start a GoFundMe for a new computer. So I expect you to uh, to to donate generously after making fun of me. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll do that. So, but apparently the winder upper thingy is working okay now. So. Yeah, I found it next to the flux capacitor, and flux it was uh, it, it's working perfect right now. So. <laughs> That's cool. Movies, shows, books that are enlightening? 
Okay, I don't know if you knew this, Roland, but uh, I'm going to let Terry start this conversation just because he admitted this to me about a month ago, or actually maybe just a couple weeks ago, but that he actually has a written diary of all the movies he's ever watched. <laughs> because you, you, if I'm right, you said this was kind of like a, a religious thing for you, right? Is that right, Terry? Yeah, I mean, uh, movies, uh, it's, it's my... Yeah, it's my jam. I don't know. Um, I do. I do have a diary. I, it, it's not like I make a journal entry for each one. Uh, I do do a rating for each one. So I'm, I'm like thinking, how do I like Holy it? Um, I don't do a review, but I do a rating. And uh, yeah, I track every movie I've seen, whether it's a new movie or an old movie. Um, so I can go. So what's wife, the what's the rating system? Is it like it's one to the number of T's? No, it's ten stars. So it's 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 ten stars. It's a ten star. Okay, ten star rating. So it's it's uh, I I use the IMDb uh, as a platform to do that because you yeah. can if you have an actual profile in IMDb you can actually track and all that and then I have a Google Keep file where I write down all the movies I've seen and then uh, whether I've seen it on DVD, Netflix, what Hulu, go to the movie theater. If I go to the movie theater, I give it a little asterisk so I know that I saw it on the theater. Um, yeah, so it, it's a big deal. And I, I kind of like jokingly, it, it's one of those things where for me, it's it's a very spiritual formation tool. Like I, wow. I, I just, I see, as I see the world, um, movies are a way to, to kind of, it's almost like, you know, role playing, like, okay, what would the kingdom of God look like here? Like what's okay. missing or what's, what's visible about the kingdom. And, and yeah. I don't watch the Christian movies. Um, so it's not like I'm watching, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't yeah. I can't even think of one, but like the Omega code. Did you see the Omega code? <laughs> I saw the Omega code in the theaters and I wanted my money back and I actually saw it for free in the theaters. And I said, you need to pay me for my time. So, Am I allowed to say that? Is that okay? Is yeah, that the, the one thing that like when the Omega code came out there, I did get excited just for a minute because it had <laughs> Luke Gossett Jr. in it. And I am like an Iron Eagles, like old yeah. school fan sure. and so i was like oh heck yeah i'll watch that it was terrible okay was no terrible. wait here here's here's mine ready here's my mega code experience there's a theater here in town where uh this guy was working he's like hey i got these tickets to the omega code this is what the mid 90s right yeah i think so mm -hmm. and uh so we go we go to this theater i'm like uh i don't know about all this you know the movie was awful but the guy who took my ticket Okay, the ticket guy, that's probably like one of the lowest positions in the theater. The ticket guy at this movie theater here in East Tennessee, right outside of Knoxville, was Mr. Fuji. Do you guys know Mr. Fuji? The wrestler? The old WWF wrestler yes, and yes. manager? And like, I'm like, that brother looks a lot like Mr. Fuji. And I walk up and he's got a name tag, Mr. Fuji. And I'm freaking out. Nobody else gets it. <laughs> Nobody else gets it. But I remember growing up watching WWF with my dad. I don't know if that's some yeah. sort of personality flaw or child abuse. I don't know. But we used to watch that stuff. And I loved all of that. And Mr. Fuji took my ticket to Omega Code 2. And I still walked out so mad. I was like, I want, I, 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 yeah. somebody needs to compensate me for my time. Talk I didn't go to like Mr. Fuji and bring it up. But I was like, somebody needs to compensate me for my time talk about the perfect bouncer you know yeah. oh yeah well <laughs> but the trick was he was kind of old by then so he was kind of you know he's yeah, he was kind of you know but he could but hype was, up a good bouncer oh he could sure. he could be yeah. good good ring man yeah all right i still cheers. remember going to the office the next day and like 
freaking out and being like, Mr. Fuji took my ticket. Cause I was working at this mom and pop computer shop. Like Mr. Fuji took my ticket. Oh my gosh. Everybody's like, Oh yeah. I babysit his kids. It's no big deal. I see him on Thursday. So I'm like, it's Mr. Fuji. So, <laughs> I think he's passed now, but if he was, and he could listen to this, God love you, Mr. Fuji. Uh, so, all right. So Terry, I'm, I'm, I am uh, really interested in this. Um, I, cause I didn't know this about you. So give, Give us an example. So what was the last movie you saw? How did you rate it? And give us the, um, what was the, what was the movie rating show? Oh, this, uh, Siskel and Ebert. Oh, Siskel and Ebert. So yeah. give us the Siskel and Ebert of the movie. Yeah. So they were uh, a four star system uh, or a thumbs up, thumbs down. So that's trash. Yeah. So the last movie, <laughs> the last movie yeah, I have, I have opinions. Uh, the last movie I saw was Uncut Gems. So that is the, the Sappy Brothers, uh, big kind of directorial debut from some independent films starring Adam Sandler, which everybody right now is saying Sandler got snubbed for an Oscar nomination. Um, it is insanely violent. Um, it is, it's, it's an, I, I went in wanting to love the movie just because I, the idea of it, um, but man, it just... One, I was telling Amy, I, I left the theater with like heart palpitations because there's so much like yelling and screaming over the top of one another. So like there's no dialogue in the movie where it's just one person talking. It yeah. is just nonstop yelling, screaming on top. And I was, I was like sensory overload to the max. Hmm. Um, Sandler does a great job, but I, I don't think it was... Uh, it definitely wasn't Oscar worthy. Love him, but wasn't that good. And I gave it seven and a half stars, which on a four, you know, four, four, uh, a five star scale, that's like what three and a half. So, okay, those are. Hard. So, what's a ten star? What's a ten star movie for you? Yeah, have you had a ten star recently? Yeah, so I've had two <clears throat> in the last year, um, which they're my top two film. Obviously, my top two favorite films from last year. Uh, number two was Jojo Rabbit. Uh, which is, and, and I, I apologize in advance because I'd never say his name right, uh, Taiki Waititi. Uh, he directed uh, Thor Ragnarok. What was his name again? Dude, why, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. Who's this we can edit out it's, 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 it's ta- Taiki Waititi. And so <laughs> he's brilliant, man. He, he, he directed Thor Ragnarok. Uh, yeah, and so in, in that he was the rock guy, uh, but he's done a lot of independent films. He did Eagle versus shark. Uh, he did a movie, uh, called, um, uh, boy, which was just an amazing, he's from New Zealand. Phenomenal. So Jojo rabbit, Scarlett Johansson nominated for, uh, supporting actress She's in great. the film. Phenomenal. It's, it's a brilliant satire on, World War II Germany. It's this little kid. It's like Hitler Youth. It's it's like who has the guts to take that kind of who wants to make a comedy about like Hitler Youth? Yeah. But he just handles it with such grace. It's so good. It's just, just a brilliant film. Loved it. And my number one movie. So I gave that ten stars. And then the the best movie, hands down, which I think everyone kind of universally agrees, the best movie of the year is Parasite. It's a Korean mm-hmm. film. Um, it is, it's, it's kind of presented as a horror film, Mm -hmm. but it's not like 
scary or gory or supernatural. It's, it is just the human element on display and how the ability to take, take advantage of each other, that's the horror in it. And yeah, it's phenomenal. He's probably going to win Best Director uh, and Best Film. It's just amazing. Yeah. Those are my two 10-star uh, movies from this year. That's cool. Yeah, so, something you said earlier about like how movies are kind of this window into culture kind of thing. I heard someone, I can't remember who, but I heard someone kind of say that culture is always asking the right questions. Absolutely. Right? And then as, you know, as people of the kingdom, we kind of have answers to that. But yeah, I do think through movies and stuff, you get, you get to see what kind of questions are, is society asking and what kind of tensions are they dealing with and that kind of thing. Have y'all, are y'all going to go see 1917? Yeah, I am. Yes, I definitely. Yeah. yeah, I I mean, I don't know if you saw, but like our, our, one of our co-founders, Mike Frost posted the other day, he, he went to see 1917. He said he walked out of the theater and felt like he had PTSD, but it's got like incredible reviews and stuff like that. So it seems like it's probably one of those, uh, sensory overload experiences. So probably ought to be prepared. I, I just went and saw a great movie and I'm going to show a little bit of my, um, I'm going to come out of my masculine side into my feminine side a little bit. And I got talked into by my wife and my daughters and stuff on Christmas night. Cause we always go see a movie every year. We do Christmas, we do brunch, uh, we spend the day together and then we pick a movie and so Christmas night, we went to see Little Women. Yeah, I knew you were going to say and that. And yeah. I want to tell you something, guys. My my daughter was kicking the back of my seat laughing because I was sitting there wiping my eyes, yeah. you know. And that is literally one of the best movies I've seen in several, several months. And so um, I've been telling all my friends, you know, to go see it. So probably on a on a Terry scale, you know, I might I might give it a 10 it's it's it's, it's a nine star for me. It's is Greta it? Gerwig okay. is amazing as the director. She she yeah. definitely is an Oscar snub. Yeah. She deserved an Oscar nomination. It's a beautiful movie. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah, and then the other one I'd throw out is uh, is a Netflix uh, series, and I'd actually I want to challenge you guys to watch this because and I I think this is kind of fascinating a little bit to the missional conversation too. So there's I happened upon this. Uh, 10 episode series that is all the episodes, all the episodes are out there for the first season and it's called the Messiah. And when I saw the title and you look at the picture, cause it looks like a guy that kind of looks like, you know, Middle Eastern Jesus, Jesus, you know, really good looking long, dark hair, you know, kind of the typical pictures you see um, of Jesus. I kind of thought, Oh, this is corny. It's a Christian thing. It's whatever, you know, but I clicked on it and read the, read the description. And then I watched the first episode and I could not stop watching it. First of all, it's not, it's not overtly Christian. I can't tell if anyone on the writing staff or directing staff or anything are Christians, but there are faith, um, undertones throughout the whole thing, but it's basically a Messiah coming in modern times from an Arab uh, perspective, you know, and it's like in our times right now. And I found myself thinking, oh, this is what Israel felt like when Jesus showed up, you know? And so I, I was totally fascinated with the series and I've been trying to get people 
to watch it. And it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like the best acting you've ever seen, but it's not bad. Camera works good. I'd be interested in the Terry system on it. So anyway, I've heard good things. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It's, on, it's in my queue, but yeah. What about you, Alan? Books, movies? You guys are making me feel awful because uh, like you guys are like overly spiritualizing what you're watching and all this stuff. And to be honest with you, <laughs> the last movie I saw was when I was actually visiting Terry in Austin, Texas, and it was Jumanji. And the reason we went and saw that is because he's got a daughter, I've got three daughters, and that was the one movie we could all go see. And then at home, and you just wanted to go to the Alamo Draft House. And I wanted that's to go really. to the Alamo Draft House. Yes, that is. Let's just be honest. But then at home, uh, I've been binge watching uh, two things. One, Jack Ryan. Uh, I've been doing that, and then uh, The Expanse. They they just had season four come out, um, and that's just fun stuff, man. I'm not gonna. I, I might be able to sit down there and over spiritualize it, but let's be honest. I'd be like making stuff up right now. Yeah, that's cool. Any books? Any books that you're loving right now? So, yeah, actually, I've just started rereading this book. It's called uh, The Book of Tea, um, and it's guy, by this guy named Kakuza Akakura. Again, I'm, I'm probably butchering somebody's name here. But it's this guy um, who uh, basically back in the late 1800s wrote an apology for the tea ceremony. It was kind of a way to, uh, like, an apology in so much as a he's an apologist, right? He's writing a defense of the tea ceremony for the West, as, as the West was kind of trying to change the culture in the East, here he is kind of reclaiming, this is what uh, the tea ceremony is all about. And it's a short little book. I actually got it from a uh, professor friend of mine here. Uh, there's a professor here uh, by the name of Dave Matthews, not that one, but he is one of the uh, professors <laughs> of architecture and design at the University of Tennessee. And he'll take students over to Japan uh, to, um, to, to, to kind of explore architecture and des, to explore design. And if you're going to do that, you have to go to a tea house. And if you ever explore the concepts and the ideas of a tea house. And so it's, it's very interesting. It has some like actually rather some scathing reviews of missionaries from the West and what they're doing at that yeah. time. You know, this is like late 1800s, early 1900s and how they're trying to come over and Westernize things, um, but kind of reclaiming culture and the concept of this ritual of the tea house. It's, I read it uh, maybe a couple years ago, but I let a friend borrow it. He just returned it. And it's, it's literally, I mean, you could read it in an afternoon. Um, so I, I said, Oh, I gotta, I gotta read this again. And so I, I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it's just been giving me life. That's, that's pretty cool. When I was, um, you know, Mako Fujimura. Yes. Um, yeah. So Mako is in residence at Fuller part-time, you know, as an artist and has a studio there. And, um, and of course, I've been doing, you know, studying at Fuller and connected to Fuller uh, for a while. And when I was there one time, Mako was there and we got invited to a tea ceremony. Mm. And Mako and one of his uh, students who was Asian and kind of knew how to do this, um, like took us through this whole experience. And it was pretty amazing, especially sitting in his art studio kind of surrounded by visually by art, you know, and they had like a, I remember there was like a fountain going and then they're serving tea and doing it, you know, just the right way. And it's pretty cool. It is pretty amazing. Uh, so uh, my, my neighbor uh, where I live, uh, she's Japanese. And um, here every year we have in the fall, we have an Asian festival in Knoxville. 
And she's part of a group of people who will actually do a simulation of the tea ceremony and walk, you know, these Southerners through what the tea ceremony is all about. And it is absolutely fascinating. If you ever get the chance, I highly recommend doing it. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. What about you guys? You guys read anything? Man, I'm working on a dissertation. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I mean, it's all, you know, and it's missiology. So it's stuff that we all walk in and we like, yeah. you know, um, in one way, it's really good because it's forcing me to go back to some foundational stuff that we all teach and talk about. So I'm, you know, I'm going back and reading Bosch and Newbegin and, you know, um, all these uh, authors and even going back and, you know, rereading shaping of things to come and some different things like that. And so, you know, a lot of times you pass by those books and you take the nuggets and then you just kind of walk with them. And so um, I'm finding some new nuggets in those, in, in kind of scanning the literature review of all that yeah. stuff. And so uh, it's not really fun reading, but um, it's definitely good for me, you know, but that's what I'm spending my time reading right now. Yeah. Yeah. I just started, I, <clears throat> I think it's Gary Thomas, um, Sacred Pathways. And so that's, it's kind of an older book. Alan, you're the one that recommended it to me. Uh, just basically trying to figure out how I best connect with God. And so I know the, the premise of the book, but I thought I'd give it a read just to kind of nail it down. Um, but I'm just kind of just cracked the spine on that one. But I, I'd finished a book right before Christmas and uh, real similar to what Alan said, it's a super thin little book you could read in an afternoon. But I found myself every time I would read a chapter, which was only like two or three pages, insane wide margin, giant te uh, font. But I would just stop and put it down because I, I don't know about you guys, but when I read something that is just so stinking good, like I, I just, I only read little bits of a time. So it lasts, you know, yeah. um, but it is Jewish spirituality for Christians by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. It uh -huh. is phenomenal. It is one of the best um, books that I've read just for my own personal spiritual formation, the way to see the world, to, to, to have a better understanding of, of who God is. And so it's, it's wonderful and it's teeny tiny easy read, but man, there are just, it's punch after punch of just heavy, just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't even have the words to give it uh, justice. Yeah. And if I remember right, uh, so the, the, the subtitle of that is it's Jewish spirituality, like a brief introduction for my Christian friends or something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's writing it to like say, Hey, you know, this is, this is for Christian people and, and let's kind of like unpack this a little bit more, but dude, anything Kushner does is always good stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And we'll, and I'll, I'll put links of these things or at least the titles up on the webpage um, with, with the podcast. So if you're listening and some of the stuff we've talked about um, on this episode, you're interested in, you can go to forgeamerica.com and then go over to the podcast page and uh, find some of those links and titles and different things that, um, that we're talking about. So um, talking about books and authors is a great segue, I think. Uh, one of our favorite um, authors, and probably I would just speak for all three of us, maybe one of our favorite people in the world yeah. uh, is a lady named Deb Hirsch. Um, 
she is one of the co-founders of Forge International, um, married uh, to Alan Hirsch, of course, but man, she is a great author and speaker, uh, pastor's heart. She pastored a church in LA. Um, and I know, you know, if you're, you guys are like me, anytime I'm in Deb's presence, I just want to get her to call me love one time. Yeah. You know, because she's Australian, right? So when she just says, you know, hey, Roland, how are you doing, love? I just melt, you know? And so um, she's just a great, great, great individual. And um, we thought it'd be fitting to kind of kick off the first episode um, by dropping in on a conversation. I'm going to let you explain it, Alan. Uh, but because she kind of explains how Forge got started, you know, from the very, very beginnings, dream sessions, and um, as well as some other things in this conversation. But uh, so tell us a little bit about what we're going to listen to and kind of how this, how this all happened. Yeah, so we were fortunate to have Deb here in Knoxville uh, a couple months ago, and she was helping us with our Forge residency. She was uh, spending some time with our Forge residents, kind of just loving them and investing in them. She did a couple of intensives, a couple of nights, and so we pulled her into a room, and uh, my crossing staff, uh, Brad Campbell, Molly Conaway, and myself, we had the opportunity to sit down and interview her. So we said, we're just going to ask some of the questions we've always wanted to ask uh, Deb Hirsch. Yeah, so that's cool. So, um, so Alan, you'll be kind of uh, leading this interview, and we're going to uh, send you over to that and just kind of drop into this, uh, this little uh, discussion with Deb Hurst at Crossings. Welcome to Crossings Conversation. My name is Alan Bradford, and sitting around the table with me today in the green room is Brad Campbell, Molly Conaway, and we're honored to have with us uh, Deb Hirsch. Welcome, glad you're here. In Australian, it's Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> Debbie Hirsch. I've been think... practicing my. Yeah, yeah. Aussie. Give it another go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're gonna have to keep, keep, keep working on that. So, uh, Deb, you've been in ministry uh, both in Australia and here in America for over 20 years, right? Uh, author, you wrote Untamed with some guy named Alan, which is a great name. He actually even spells it right. And most recently, you wrote uh, the book Redeeming Sex, which I will say is one of the most fun books to read out in public at any time. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's very few books that are more fun to read than that. And I'll just to kind of watch people. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you're also uh, on the leadership of Forge, uh, Help Start Forge, the, the Mission Training Network. And you still serve on the board of Missio Alliance, right? I do. And married to some guy named Alan. Um, yeah. The one who I wrote the book with. Yeah, that guy, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So not me, but that, whoever that guy is. Yeah. And you guys are both living in New York right now. We are. Yeah. Mm. So moved from uh, California to New York. Yeah, um, from, what's, from Los Angeles. Yeah. What's, what's that been one, like? Yeah. Well, actually, for, you know, you think about it, one big city to the other. But I've realized in living in New York City that... Well, I mean, we already knew this, but Los Angeles really is just one big, long suburb or a big, giant, you know, yeah. suburb. It's not really a city, not, no. not yeah. in comparison to New York City. Yeah, but yeah. but you've enjoyed it. So I've heard somebody say, actually, uh, you're supposed to live in, in Los Angeles for a little while, but leave before it makes you soft. And then you have to live mm. in New York for a little while, but you have to leave before it makes you hard. 
Oh, that's a good observation. That's a song lyric, isn't it? It is. It is. It's from some uh, from some yeah. phrase from a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it definitely um, it, the environment definitely impacts you as a person. I mean, that's just I know that I'm stating the obvious here, but it's very different. The two the contrasts, the yeah, context are very different. Yeah. So, are you liking New York? Are you enjoy it. I love New York City. Yeah. What's your What's your favorite part? The The things that you just love about New York. Uh, well, this might sound a little bit weird, but I love, I love the people. It's like body up against body. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's a closeness there that, you know, uh, makes you feel alive. It makes mm. you feel, yeah, I'm very community. I'm very uh, wired that way for, you know, connection, I think. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. So even though we're living in an apartment by ourselves for the first time ever mm-hmm. in our married life, um, I know that there are people above and beside me on walls because I can hear them. Yeah. So there's something about that body on body. And, you know, you're walking in the streets. You, there's no lonely place to walk in a sense. Yeah. It's pretty full. You just described all the reasons why I probably will never live in New York right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I heard, I heard something about New York. You know, you have in your mind people walking around New York, listening to their podcasts on their phone, looking down and how that's always been portrayed as like a negative thing. Like, oh, everyone's just so like busy and uninterested in the people around them. But actually there are just so many people in New York that if you were to actually give every moment like to looking around and talking to every person you pass in your then you wouldn't have anything left no. for anybody that you actually have a relationship with so that's actually kind of like not as unhealthy of a thing as, as sometimes we make it out to be because you really have to kind of have your alone time even surrounded by people to be able to you know have real relationships well, I, I remember I was up there it's just a couple true. months ago and I remember like just staring at one building, some skyscraper apartment complex and going, there are probably more people in that building yeah. than in my entire neighborhood mm-hmm. exponentially. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and, and to know that that's just one building and the mass of this sea of humanity, really. It's, yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It is. And I, and I think what you're saying, uh, Molly, too, is, you know, it, there's an exhaustion that comes from being in that context that, that is very real and it is felt in your bodies. And, so you do need to kind of, you know, navigate your time and, and your relational connections and stuff. It's, it's, it's more complex. What are you on the Enneagram? An eight. An eight. Oh, you and Alan. That's yes. right. Can box it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deb is everything I want to be because she's an incredibly healthy eight. So she's everything I want to be. But she's who I model my life after. Sorry, that's so. kind of a side note for me. So the last time I was up in New York, uh, talking to some of the, um, Uber drivers up there, mm-hmm. universally, all of them were saying, we well, love the city, like to be here, but you have to get out. Like every once in a while you have yeah. to be gone because we were making fun <laughs> of some friends that they said the, the thing to do up there is you have to go out in the fall and go apple picking, right? That's what you got to do. That's yeah. the big joke. Um, but, but over and over again, like the city's great, but you have to leave. Yeah. every once in a while and i think you know it's interesting because you know getting to know some of the locals or those that have been there you know significant amounts of time um there's kind of yes people do say that but then there's the kind of the purists that are like if you're in new york you shouldn't be taking off every weekend to huh. escape it because it, like a lot of people they don't have the means to do that either yeah so there's you know there's that kind of yes and no but i think i think uh, i think you're right i think there is a sense where you know but i think also central park 
is that's mm. one of the purposes of Central Park. It's it's like it's the lungs of the city. It's mm. where you can breathe and feel like you're breathing. You know, you're surrounded by these lovely trees that are giving off <laughs> you know, yeah. good vibes and, and all the goodness that we draw into ourselves. So I think, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like without Central Park. You know, it's interesting to think about that on, you know, that's kind of the grand scale, but it's interesting to think about places in that same vein about, you know, like Oakwood Lincoln Park, my neighborhood, it's nothing like New York, but, but there are some people in my neighborhood that can't, that don't get out of Oakwood Lincoln Park. They live and they work and they shop within the same, however many blocks. And so how is it that we are creating beautiful spaces, beautiful places that people can go to, you know, escape or whatever when they can't, when they, when they Mm -hmm. don't leave, you know, it's just like kind of the theology of place. Mm -hmm. Um, if you were to take New York and shrink it down, it'd be really interesting. Mm, For sure. So Deb, one of the things I'm interested in is, um, so we're, we're here in Knoxville crossings. We're part of uh, forge Knoxville and forge Knoxville is part of a greater movement of forge America, which is even part of a greater movement of forge international and forge is this, um, mission. There's no tra- forge universe. No, 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 there's no forge universe. We're working <laughs> on that yet, one. Molly, yeah, yet. We're working on that one. Give us some time. Um, but it, Forge is this missions training network. It's trying to teach people, train people. What does it mean to live out the life of Jesus in their neighborhood? Um, and, and to, to see their neighborhood, to see their places, um, as missionaries. Um, and you guys started that. And I've always heard Al tell the story of how it started. And he's like, Oh yeah, you know, Mike and Kaz and you, but I never heard you tell the story from your perspective of how Forge actually got started. Well, it's a little, quite a while back now. So, um, you know, there were, there were a number of things that kind of came in together to really uh, start it all off. But I think, you know, from from my perspective, I guess a whole lot of it really, were, or the impetus or the burden or the passion, uh, some of that really came from a, um, a dissatisfaction with some of uh, our own kind of training, if you like, you know, our own experience of seminary and... Uh, you know, contrasting that with the ministry that God had us involved in right from the time, you know, we were married. We started in a church context to do like a replant. Um, And and I guess reflecting back on so much of, you know, what we were taught, all good and helpful stuff, uh, but there wasn't a lot of connection to the, you know, to the streets or to the ministry. It was, you know, a head full of theology and three years of ancient greek (laughs) (laughs) but but even just on that i I will never forget a moment i had it still stays in my mind when i was sitting sitting on a curbway on a in a gutter uh, with a working girl you know she you know she was pretty regular on that street selling her body and i remember sitting there having a conversation with her and i had that moment of thinking oh three years of ancient greek (laughs) What has that given me to help me relate to this woman? And I think there was a lot of those aha moments for us. Um, And especially Al did a a more technical degree as well. So for him it was even, you know, he did Hebrew as well. And so there was a lot of of disconnect for us from what God was calling us into. And um, I remember Al feeling very frustrated. You know, he never even was taught how to do a sermon you know, in his, in his degree. So I did, I went off and did more pastoral counseling. So there was more psychology and stuff like that, which was helpful for me, um, you know, in engaging people and all the rest of it. But so there was a lot of those moments for us. And it was like, you know, 
what are, there's, a, there's a huge gap here that we need to somehow bridge for people, and especially for people that were doing stuff like we were doing. Hmm. Um, so that kind of really started with us developing our own training within our church, uh, which was called Urban Encounter at, at the time. Hmm. And we just started thinking, we'll, tra- <laughs> we'll train our own people. You know, and we drew in, you know, people around the city that were practitioners that were doing this, that were theologically also, you know, theologically trained. We are, you know, people need to have good minds and we need to be mm-hmm. rigorous in our thought and what we're, what we're reading and all of that and our learning and growing. Um, but if we're not putting the stuff that we're learning into what we're actually doing with our hands and, you know, we're missing something somewhere. So, so that was part of the passion and the stirring of that. Um, yeah, and it was, it was kind of costly and it was a bit, you know, because if you start setting up something of your own, it makes us, it's it just by the mere fact that you're not sending off your people to some of the seminaries where you went, uh, it makes a statement. So, you know, it, it was a bit tricky in the early days. Huh. <laughs> nice just just trying to keep those connections with seminaries and you know the denominations and that so that we're not you know we're not dismissing any of what is it's just let's try and help you know bring some missing pieces into the equation did you ever imagine that it would look like it what it is now no well you don't do you don't know what god's gonna do with something you know we we used to just run it in our little church (laughs) building you know this urban encounter thing and it began to grow and morph really yeah. And yeah, I mean, Kim Hammond, of course, was the one that brought it to America. You yeah. know, Kim's just, just quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, so, no, we didn't. That's the, and the interesting thing is it kind of slowed down and sort of ended up stopping in Australia and mm. then taking off over here and, and, of course, now Europe. I do remember when Kim Hammond brought uh, Forge over from Australia to America because we had, we had the opportunity to meet him as a staff. It's one of the first things I did here on staff was we went up to Chicago where Kim was at and uh, got to meet him. Then we brought Kim down here, which Kim really needs to come with a warning label, um, Is which is, one, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. Two, he'll fall asleep at any moment. I mean, he just really will. I remember us sitting in staff with him, and you'd always tell, he just starts rubbing his head, and then he's out, and you're like, okay, I was talking to you, bud and you're just gone but then he starts answering something you're like wow that's a superpower of yours but he he really pushed forge on us we had no idea what it was he says you guys should be a forge hub we had no idea so we sat on it for about a year just kind of poking around and saying is this for real and then every interaction we had with the forge tribe we we're like these these are our people yeah. uh, i think it was at us there's a certain conference that we go to every year and it has all these different groups of people and we were sitting there one day uh, as a staff and we said you know what it's almost like being in the high school lunch cafeteria as you've got this group over here that's like they're the jocks this group over here that's like the the chess nerds and then it's the forge guys were like the guys that were behind the bleachers smoking yeah. <laughs> and we were like that's our crew <laughs> we want to be with them all the time so yeah it was just uh, we just said this is this is kind of us but i think so. also in retrospect as we look at what forge has done for our faith community i think we've realized you know when people ask us so what's your discipleship model or like what's your discipleship program uh, we don't use those words, but if we're thinking about how we are, you know, equipping and training our people to follow the ways of Jesus, the most like practical thing we can point to and what Crossings does is this for- forge stuff. Like it is a intense, like kind of training and how we are discipling our people. And so that that's been neat. We, I don't think we got into it thinking, oh, forge is going to be our new discipleship program. Yeah. But it, when, in retrospect, that is definitely what it has, has done is it's been, a, it's, it's been really good for us. 
One of the things I'm most excited about now uh, is this turn that Forge has made and saying, hey, what does it look like to connect movements to other movements? So like for us, example, the, the example I would use here is um, Forge in Oxford is connecting to other faith communities in the city and saying, what does it look like for you to train your people and to do this stuff? And it's it's been life-giving for me to be able to reach out and to have these people who are like, yes, this is what we need. We want these type of avenues. So the stuff that you guys started in Australia, experimenting and figuring it out however many years ago uh just how people are still excited about it and still like yes this is this is what we want to be about so kudos to you thank you so deb i know you're uh writing a new book um last time i was up in uh, new york um uh, your husband was telling me all about it he's all excited about it and about how you write books completely differently than he does um yeah so would love to hear about it let it tell us about you know what what you're willing to tell us about this new book and why, why is it different that you and Alan, the way you write books? Oh, well, we're different in lots of ways, in case you hadn't <laughs> noticed. Um, well, he's, he's a natural writer. You know, he, that's his prime medium or his major medium, if you like. I mean, he speaks a lot, obviously. Um, you know, but he really is, well, he says he's, you know, doesn't have an unpublished thought, but there's plenty more thoughts, mm. you know, with him. But it's, it's for him, he loves it. He can get up and he can get into it. Whereas, uh, you know, I would rather talk, probably. Mm. <laughs> yes, definitely. Would rather talk than have to write. So for me, it's a, it's, it's, I struggle. Mm. It's hard. I mean, writing Redeeming Sex was like a nightmare. Mm. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. It was just an awful process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he gets into it. He's disciplined about it. He knows where he's going, you know, and I'm just all over the place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a lot harder. Yeah. Do you and Mark need to have like a, a recovery group for like what it's like to work <laughs> with Alan on a writing project? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's anyway, funny. yeah. Tell us about this new book. I'm excited. What's it about? Well, it's. It's a little bit of a look, well, not a little bit of a look. The book's is really going to be on the senses. Um, oh. So it's but coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. Um, the, the senses is, you know, so it really, if I was to summarise, it's how becoming more sensual um, can deepen our relationship with God, uh, deepen who we are as individuals and really impact our discipleship and our conforming to Christ and also how it can, in, you know, uh, help us missionally speaking. So that's kind of the angle I'm coming at and so it, very much about, you know, living in our bodies and what do our bodies have to teach us about God and the other and the world around mm. about us um, and ourselves, you know, in that sense. So it's a, it's a big project and... You know, this is from somebody who I, I used to teach when I did some teaching at some of the uh, some of our seminaries back in Melbourne. I used to teach sensuality, if you like, as a subset of sexuality in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, just as I, you know, get around the churches, you know, because I do do a lot of talking, obviously, on sexuality, I realise that on a lot of people do think that they see sensuality as a subset, um, but actually, it's it's. It's, it has it's a whole it's a it's it's complete in and of itself mm. you know it's not a subset of anything um it's it's really quite a large i've <laughs> discovered a huge topic but it's yeah i'm really excited about it and just 
you know, what, what God has been doing. It's not like if I had to reflect on the sec, my sexuality book it was a, and, and the one with our was a discipleship book, they were kind of learnings. Like the sexuality one in particular, it was stuff over the years that God had given me and, you know, a lot of the work that I'd been immersed in and uh, ministry stuff and all that. So it was stuff I needed to write down. Whereas this book, it's actually unfolding in me. Wow. You know, it's just an intellectual kind of trip, and it is a little bit of that, no question. But it's it's actually, um, yeah, it's being born in my own body. So it's, it's quite experiential. Um, and that side of it is, you know, it's not that's not normal for our discipleship, really. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and I realize as I keep exploring it that it's, um, you know, that our bodies generally are left out of our discipleship, I think. Mm. You know, and that's, I think, problematic on multiple levels so so partly it'll be helping us to reintegrate you know we are embodied beings and we are the temple something about our bodies that is missing in the way we navigate our you know spiritual formation and discipleship whatever you want to call it brad's about to jump out of his chair over there he's so excited no i'm (laughs) so excited it just reminds me it's kind of like a journey or what it sounds like. I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. What it sounds like to me is it's journeying um, as Westerners through uh, the Hebrew conscience of the body. So yeah. like Hebrews viewed the entire self as being intertwined, mind, body, and soul. Mm-hmm. And so like the passage that I think of is in Lamentations 3 um, when whoever the author is says like my, my soul is downcast. It, it, he's talking about his whole self, like yeah. all of the senses are engaged and he's like, it's just this wholeness of it. Like there, there's, there's the shalom of actually being aware of yourself, you know? Yeah. Very, very much so. Yep. Yeah. We have, we still live very dualistic kind of lives, don't we? It's just, it's always been part of the history of the church, really. Yeah, it was yeah. birthed into a context that was separated, you know, uh, our minds, you know, and our spirits from our bodies and all that kind of, you know. And we live in a world that's so obsessed with the mind and looks like down upon feeling and experience Mm -hmm. that it's, it's just like really hard to journey back to that. So I think that this is a really good project that you're starting. Well, you know, we just got out of our worship or our planning meeting for Uh a couple Sundays from now, which we're in the book of Exodus. We're studying the book of Exodus and in two, it's two Sundays, right? We're (laughs) studying the whole section about the construction of the tabernacle and just how amazing. I mean, how many chapters is it? It's like, it's so much space of the book of Exodus is given to the details of the tabernacle mm-hmm. that is totally a sensory experience. I mean, it is totally about, you know, this needs to be made out of this kind of wood. It needs to smell like this. It needs to be put like this. You know, it, it does engage all of those senses. And Mark said a few weeks ago, I think during one of our, our Sunday gatherings about how we do think about that, about how are we engaging all of the senses within our worship gatherings. I mean, we are so, there's so few things we do compared to a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, gatherings in history history um you know but even something as simple as we stand up and we come forward around a table to take common meal together we put food in our mouths and we taste it you know like that experience in itself is is so much about the senses um and it is really transformative i mean it just it sticks with you uh and you know i'm, I'm 
I'm like telling you the stuff that you're writing the book on, but <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I mean, you think about like when you think of a smell, like think about how much smells stick with you and remind you of things, like oh, how yeah. amazing that could be for our spiritual transformation. Mm-hmm. If we connect more, connected more experiences like that, smells and sounds and things that we feel to our faith and to our mm. encounters with God. It, it, it It's really mm. neat. Absolutely, Molly. And that is, you know, will be a, a big part of what I'm saying is, you know, how we can, you know, in, in our corporate worship as well, you know, bring in, we talked about the Orthodox Church earlier on, you know, yeah, they're yeah. certainly much more central in the way uh, they navigate their time together and their, their worship and all that. Um, but and I think to, you know, so from that angle, I think it is helpful and I think, um, you know, it, it helps to form us in a different way than just words and we know that, mm-hmm. you know, we already have woken up to that in the church, but we still continue to do it. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. We're still targeting people's minds. And, you know, I love uh, James A.K. Smith in his mm-hmm. book, you know, talks about Christians are bobbleheads. Yes. You know, they've got these bobbleheads because they're so full yeah. of, of knowledge. And, and, you know, one of our colleagues, Jessica, uh, who works in the whole field of, you know, brain science and, uh, you know, very bright woman, she, you know, she talks about our... Um, you know, our, our memory, the memory that stays with us is actually uh, biographical or it's an experiential kind of memory that is the more solid one rather than the factual. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're taught at schools all the factual information, you know, the however many presidents and you can learn all the names of the presidents of the United States or, well, I never learned that, but I'm sure you all did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, those sort of things are factual stuff. Unless you're that way wired, that stuff drops out fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the stuff that you feel, you experience, it's the, that connects in with your own personal narrative, that's all of that stuff. That's the memory that stays with us because it actually becomes part of our bodies because we feel it. Mm-hmm. Feel, you know, and we have body memory. We talk about body memory. Um, and, and yet, you know, again, we, we know these things. I mean, there are authors writing this stuff within the church even. Obviously, there's writers outside. But within the church, but there's still... You know, it's a big thing to have to integrate, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's a big shift from the head because we see that as the most important, like you were saying, uh, and our intellectual capacity rather than engaging the body in our but worship. Do you, think it, do you think it's because, like, even when you started saying the word, like our sensuality, yeah. um, I mean, there's still enough Puritan... In oh, us. What a scandalous word. It is. Like, well, it's like it the is. first place, you know? Yeah, because yeah. it is so intertwined with sexuality. Yeah. Um, you know, it is so so just wrapped up in it. And that we still haven't quite figured out how to undo the muscle memory of all of that, mm-hmm. of all of the the baggage when it comes to sexuality, let alone yeah. sensuality. The muscle Always. memory, but also the cultural memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're living into the history that has been established before us. Well, exactly right and it's hard you you're absolutely right it's really difficult stuff and it's it's a little you know when i when i talk you know talk about sexuality you know trying to help people to understand that sexuality is not just about sex mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big block you know i found that again and again trying to open up it's a much bigger concept and i think sensuality has been tied very much to sexuality and there are aspects why why that is so and true and all the rest of it but there's this whole other thing. You've got to almost free it from that in order mm-hmm. to re-engage it again without suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, it, yeah, it's, it is hard. And I, one of the things that I'm saying in there is, like, I believe our discipleship needs to be more sensual. 
But that is almost like in the church, we try hard for it not to be <laughs> sensual. Yeah. You know, it's really yeah. interesting. We're, we are filled with all sorts of weird yeah. uh, that has been unhelpful, I think, yeah. uh, for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, so much of the church has been information transformation, right? It's yeah. like, here's all the information, you know more. And if you know more, then then you're going to be a better Christian. You're going to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I still remember a couple of years ago. I'm going to I'll call you out on this one, Deb, because this one stuck with me. Okay. A couple of years ago at the Forge National Gathering, you had us all sitting in a circle and you were kind of speaking some words over us as we began. And you said something to the effect of, have you ever stood naked before the Lord? And I went, <laughs> my brain literally went, what did Deb just say? And then you said, no, literally, have you ever just, and I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. Let me think about that one for a minute. You know, but it is, it's that it's like, there's such, there's such things in your head. That's just like, Oh, that, that, mm, I don't know. I'd rather go to like a Bible study that somebody, and you didn't say do this in a group. Okay. Let's just, let's just make this a caveat. (laughs) Like you didn't say, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, it's also tied up in there that, that the way we feel about some things sometimes is just a, the natural, like, oh, you're saying the word sensuality. I just think this over here. I've just categorized it over here as opposed to freeing the word. Yeah. So that's really good. That's really good stuff. Yeah, it's just kind of shaking up our paradigms. It's always about that, isn't it? You know, yeah. just kind of getting us to think, you know, bigger. Which our culture, desperate. I feel like our culture desperately needs, right? We, we, we need to shake up our paradigms because I feel like the, the cultural trends that we're encountering are not accepting the cultural norms. Does that make sense? Like this is how we've always seen stuff. I know you used to talk about like the blue playground and the pink playground. Who determined that that's the boy stuff and who determined that's the girl stuff? Yeah. Um, and and really, that's just kind of craziness. Um, when really there is no. It's just a playground, right? It's just here it is. And and our culture, our society seems to be kind of crashing against those waves and saying we're rejecting all that. Um, so what does it look like and, and how is God guiding us into some of these conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's, here's my fifth one. Ready? I'm going to end on a deep theological note. Uh, Deb, what's your favorite scar and how'd you get it? And we're just talking sheerly physical and we're not going to the emotional physical scars. This is not therapy, but what's your favorite scar and how'd you get it? I don't think I have a scar. Really? No, no. scars. None no. whatsoever. I have, I don't think I've had, well, I haven't really had an operation and I've never been shot. <laughs> or, you know. Well, that was well, drastic. <laughs> wow. So nothing, you know? no, no scars, no, like not even tripping, nothing, nothing. No, no, no scars. Wow. Okay. Piercings in my ears. Piercings? Okay. Like holes in nice. my ears. But... Well, then that'll have to be it. That'll be it. You know, the, the piercings in your ears. There's your favorite scar. And that's, there you yeah. Go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to get Deb to, to risk a little bit more, I think. <laughs> get out there, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, Deb, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you being here. Um, whenever we come to an ending like this, we always um, end this time the same way we end our time together. When we come together as a community, we have this word. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. It's a, it's a blessing, but it's also a commissioning. Uh, and the word means wholeness and it means peace. Um, and whenever we leave each other, we bless each other with this word. Shalom. Hey, thanks to Deb Hirsch and the Crossings team in Knoxville for that conversation. Uh, We would love to continue the conversation with you. Uh, If you want to get hold of us, uh, you can reach us at 
at forgeamerica.com. Uh, there are links there to email us and to connect with Forge Tribe. Uh, and we would love uh, to connect with you. Next week on the Forge America Missional Podcast, we have Ryan Harrison, who is the National Director for Forge America. We're going to talk a little bit about why Forge America exists and some of the things that we're trying to do to help uh, help the missional conversation move forward. So we'd love for you to join us for that. So, hey, Alan, Terry, great to be with you guys this week. And uh, let's watch some movies and read some books, right? Sounds good. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see, see, you, see you next week. See you next week and go Titans. <laughs> yeah, you got that one in, right? Uh, by the time this by the time this goes to air, yeah, they'll be bounced out probably. <laughs> yeah, well we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah.